0: Sit
1: back, relax, you got
0: nothing to lose What do you think? I'm about to show you The female of the species is more deadly than a male Deadly Deadly. Deadly. Don't you can say it again Just wait till you see what
2: I did at the end
0: The female of the species is more deadly than a male
2: Jesus. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the More Deadly Podcast, where we review horror movies directed exclusively by women, identified directors that prove that the female of the species is more deadly than the male. More Deadly is a trans-inclusive podcast. We celebrate the work of cis and trans women, as well as non-binary filmmakers who are comfortable being included in the space that centers the work of women. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me today is one of my very favorite people in the whole world, Ariel. Hi. Hi.
1: Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited <laughs> Me for this too. episode. This is going to be really fun for a couple of reasons. For one, we're covering a movie that I love, Revenge. But even better, guys, we have a very special guest joining us today, hailing from the great state that is always ready to give you a high five. Michigan. I'm talking about Michigan. That's true, right? <laughs> that is true now i'm like panicking that i have that information wrong uh is the co-host of the excellent friday the 13th podcast andrew hoff
0: hello hello
2: andrew thank you so much for joining us and i'm starting to worry that i have that information wrong because you I, mentioned chicago in the pre-show <laughs> i
0: am from michigan oh, so you got god. that right
2: oh but, thank god uh, <laughs> oh, i just like left my body for a second as <laughs> i was like giving my spiel <laughs>
0: but yes my my adult life has been spent in in chicago
2: okay okay i'll, I'll take like a 50 percent on that one yeah <laughs> joining us today we are so excited to have you on we love your show we love you and spoiler alert we love revenge so this is going to be a ton of fun
0: yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the invitation to come on and appreciate the accommodation with getting a week in between when we were supposed to record. So,
1: <laughs> listen, when Andrew Huff is coming on the show, you make it work, okay? You accommodate. <laughs> yeah, we we're just so excited to have you on. I did not expect you to say yes when I reached out. So, <laughs> oh, of course. We're like, you-
2: moonshot.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, obviously, we're big fans. But for those in the audience who somehow are listening to a podcast, for from under their rock from their like coconut shell radio podcast things. Can you tell us a little bit about your show?
0: Sure. Um I am the co-host of Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. We like to say that we are a podcast that not only talks about horror in the movies but also the correlation to horror in real life yeah. because we feel that horror is not just a a picture we look through but a lens that reflects kind of the the real life stuff going on in the world so if that's yeah. something that interests you uh, give us a listen um, but uh, been long time listeners of your guys's uh, buddies over at bloody good horror and oh, been, yeah. listening, yes. been listening to you guys for a while while now and so it's a pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, that's awesome thank you so much yeah i'm so glad to have you here and if people have never listened to your podcast before i would say one of the things that i love so much is when you guys do talk about current events you're very realistic about what's going on and you know you guys talk about both what's happening and your feelings about it but you're both very optimistic too like you always talk about the hopeful (laughs) stuff and as somebody who tends to like doom scroll and like just think about all the negative it's really refreshing to have that
0: Yeah, it can sometimes be hard, especially given the the last couple years and everything that's been going on. But, you know, I I think that we do a great job of balancing each other out because uh, I I think that uh, my co-host Maddie kind of looks at things maybe a little more like you do. And I try to balance them out <laughs> yeah. with looking at things maybe from a more hopeful perspective. But yeah, I do think that sometimes we have to be realistic with ourselves and be like, this is shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right,
2: right. Yeah, it's been grim. I'm wondering what the, like, you know, baby filmmakers who are going up through this time, like, what is the horror that they're going to write and going and reflect? Because these times are wild, especially for queer folks.
0: Yeah, I, I can only imagine that will probably get like a five-year reprieve from contagion-type movies. And then just all of a sudden there's going to be like a blow-up of that and racially fed uh, kind of horror. And Mm -hmm. not that that's even gone away, but I think it will be a different perspective in in, you know, given given a little more time away from it. Because I think Mm -hmm. right now people maybe are a little, I don't want to say over it. That's not the right word I'm looking for, but they're a little more taking a step back because Mm -hmm. they don't, I don't think a lot of people are are armed with the um, kind of the, the, the mindset to deal with a lot of these things. And I think a lot of times people need to take a step back to understand them better. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of people don't, they just take things for face value, but you know, I, i'm i'm hopeful that the new generation that is really coming up um really in that like i'd say i don't know like probably 14 to 22 right now yeah mm-hmm. um are are a really good beacon of hope especially for um understanding other people's uh lifestyles and other and other people's yeah. struggles so mm-hmm. i'm hopeful
2: yeah, the children are the future. <laughs> <laughs> I, think no, that song, I think that
0: song came out when I was a kid, so uh, <laughs> I
2: don't know if that works. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that too because I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm with Ariel, and I can be a definitely a doom scroller. I work in queer press, and it is a rough time to be. In the news, watching the news, reading the news. So, like, having someone be able to kind of process things in a way that gives that silver lining, I think, is incredibly valuable. And also, you get some horror content. So, everybody should definitely check out their show if they're not already as obsessed with it as we are. So, okay. Let's let our listeners get a little perspective on your, your viewpoint around horror. What are some horror movies that you really love?
0: So going back to kind of uh, childhood, kind of the, the the movies that got me into the genre, I would have to say Poltergeist was a huge mm, influence. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just one of those ones that I feel like my mom felt was okay for me to watch because it wasn't super bloody. It wasn't, you know, like tortury. Um, but then on the other hand, we would always go and, you know, go to our friend's house and watch movies like Nightmare on Elm Street. And and, and so I kind of grew up in that, in that like mid-80s, late-80s kind of introduction of horror. But really what I have evolved into as, as a kind of like, I don't know, uh, as a full adult, if you will, <laughs> um, is uh, I, I tend to go for the more ghosty stuff. It's just more in mm-hmm. my wheelhouse. Um, I also love a good slasher, but with slashers, uh i'm i'm a lot more into them if they're just kind of fun if that Mm -hmm. makes any sense um yeah a lot of the the self-referential stuff i just think is like uh i don't know i think it gets into its own head sometimes too much but um some of my favorites from you know from my adulthood probably uh the descent is a huge one Um, such a good movie I I actually think the first three Insidious movies are pretty good. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, controversial. I like
1: <laughs> it. Uh,
0: yeah, I know that's like a controversial one. But I remember going to see that first Insidious and getting a glimpse of the the woman in black at the end of that movie, mm-hmm. and that yeah. just stuck with me. Oh yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, those are kind of some of mine. I tend, like I said, I tend to go a little more ghosty if I have my choice, um, mm-hmm. just because I, I love feeling. I'm I'm watching something that I don't quite understand, and we're giving the filmmakers a chance to give me something that maybe I haven't heard of before. Right. You know? and,
2: yeah, and I think when you're early, early horror films, they do set, like, grooves in the neurons, right? Yeah. And if your earliest memories are poltergeist, it's not surprising that that – and that is a, you know, kind of a high bar in terms of scariness, even though there isn't a ton of gore in it. To this day, that that one definitely gives me the creep. So I'm not surprised that that would that would leave an impact. Yeah, it's a good one for sure. <laughs> so who are like you are as someone who is watching a lot of horror movies? You know, like what we tend to see kind of the under the radar indie flicks, things like that. Who are some filmmakers you think people are sleeping on? Like everybody knows about your, you know bloom house films and your a24s but like what are some like indie directors or films you think people are missing out on and need to get in their eyeballs
0: huh that's a good question um i've always felt that karen kusama is so highly underrated Um, um i mean she's definitely done some a lot of stuff that people are now getting their eyes on but it took a while for her to really um understand um kind of who she was as a filmmaker and then really come out with, I think the invitation is like a perfect movie. So <laughs> uh, it's that's one excellent. that I'll, I'll always go back to, but um, also um, I'm trying to think if there's any been anything on some of the more streaming networks that I've, that I've kind of gravitated towards I'm looking at my collection here to see if there's anything that I've <laughs> really been looking at lately. Um, there was an independent movie that came out um, a, about a year or two ago called Benny loves you. I don't know if you're familiar with that.
2: I remember seeing the poster for it. Is it that, should that be on the list? I mean, I would
0: say give it a watch. It's more of a feat of a labor of love because, like, one guy made this whole movie with his family. Um, so I, I just think that when you have that much passion, I think that... Um, it it shows that he probably has a pretty bright future if he wants to continue doing things um i mean it's about a killer puppet so you're going to only get right. so much there but <laughs> <laughs> but
2: it looks really fun and i loved the art stuff or like the design of Benny himself so Yeah, it was
0: almost, like, Um, stop-motion-y. It's it's a really cool way of filming, but it's more when you look behind the scenes and you see, like, everything that went into it. And you're just like, wow, this one guy just made this whole thing. So, I I think that, you know, I I applaud people when they take a chance on maybe a genre that's not necessarily... um, I mean, who's making, like, really good horror comedies these days? You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They are few and far between. <sighs> I remember there was, like, they were going to do a Tucker vs. Dale sequel, and it just never happened. And I'm, it's, like, oh, I one of that. those lost gems, in my opinion. I wish that finally had come. But, yeah, when was the last time we had a really good horror comedy?
0: Yeah, I wish they would do, like, Tucker and Dale versus a haunted house or something like that. Yes!
2: That would be be great. Yeah, I would love to see them, like, play with those tropes the way that they did with sort of the redneck horror. That would be amazing.
0: Yeah, maybe something that different genre of, uh, you know... Uh, Tucker and Dale versus Zombies, something, you know, I think yeah. it'd be really fun. Yeah, a
1: whole so, series. Yeah. That would be I so fun. One of Alan cool. Tillich
2: is just too dang busy now. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. We missed our window. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of films and filmmakers you love, you picked Revenge for us to discuss. I'm assuming. I shouldn't assume. Um, what made you decide on this one?
0: Yeah, so I remember that this is one of the first Shudder uh, exclusives mm-hmm. that really took me by surprise. I think that. Shudder was doing a really good job at cultivating their library, but they weren't really going into their own, like, either bought or made movies, like their Shudder exclusives. And this one showed up pretty early on in that adventure for them. And it was really the first time that we kind of turned on... A shutter, you know, no shade to Shutter, but some of those early movies were just not yeah. very good. <laughs> yes, very um, good. And so you know, when we turned this on, and and it it had such bright colors and it was so vivid, and the the story was so good that I was just kind of taken aback. So mm-hmm. w- when you kind of gave me the option to take a look at you know and what you guys hadn't done already, I thought that um, talking with two women about a movie like this could really be a good conversation for us to have.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, when Ariel said you had floated this one, I was like, literally, anytime
1: someone wants to talk about this movie, the answer is yes. (laughs) Yeah, it took her like, I don't know, 0.5 seconds to decide that's the one. That feels generous.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, awesome. Well, let's get into this movie. But before we go too much further, Ariel, what is our spoiler policy on More Deadly?
1: Yeah, so eventually we're going to spoil this whole dang movie, but first I'm going to tell you about the director and the making of the movie, and then we're going to give you some non-spoiler thoughts, and then we're going to get into the spoiler zone, and then everything's up for grabs. So if this is something that you want to see before you get any spoilers, it is available on Shudder right now, and probably every VOD platform, I'd imagine. I don't know. Isn't it a shutter exclusive? I don't even know. Oh, is I it? I don't know. I don't know. As you're seeing this, I'm like, I have no idea. I've always. It's probably something I should have
2: looked up. <laughs> We're professional around here, Andrew. Are yeah. you impressed? <laughs>
0: well, well, I will say, usually anything that goes on shutter is also available for, through um, Amazon. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. Yeah, so. yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 That's right. Usually there's like a little, little exclusivity window. And I'm guessing probably it's up for this one that's been out for three years. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Right. Tell me about uh, Coralie Forgo and this movie film, Miss Ariel. All
1: right, so I just want to say before we get started that, like our Julia DeCorno episode, there are French words because she is French. <laughs> okay, so expect a similar level of pronunciation as I accomplished in that prior episode. Okay, okay, okay. Sacra blue. All right. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. So
1: she was born and raised in Paris and she went to the prestigious French film school, La famille That's also where Julia De Cornell went as well. Oh. She started her career working as an assistant director on American productions that were being made in France before she started writing and directing her own short films. She made two of those. And then she also directed and starred in a mini series called Le Fils Cloches. <laughs> <laughs> or something like that.
2: Do you feel like you've been swept away to Paris yet, <laughs> Andrew? Do, you did not understand you need your passport for this uh, time. Yeah. So. I, I didn't
0: realize that I should be pulling up a
2: croissant. You know everything. what? <laughs> Quince- I swear it's my coincidence. I am literally wearing a beret right now. <laughs> <laughs> I swear to God. I will Rachel. take a picture. I swear I'm
1: wearing one. I'm going to take a picture. <laughs> oh, you and your hats. All right, so after she did that, she wrote and directed her first feature film, which is the movie we're talking about today, Revenge, which had its world premiere in September of 2017 at the Toronto International Film Festival as part of their Midnight Madness section, and then it got a theatrical release after that. Fun fact, apparently one person who saw Revenge at TIFF required medical attention after seeing the scene where a shard of glass is removed from a body part. Okay, I was starting to say shit it. You made it say, through everything else? <laughs> yeah, right, I know, Good right. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alright, so as a filmmaker, she has said that she's really inspired by directors like Quentin Tarantino, David Lynch, and David Cronenberg because she feels like their movies are an extension of who they are as people, of their personalities, and that they make movies where once you see them, you instantly know it's theirs, even if their name wasn't attached to it. So when she was creating the character of Jen for Revenge, that's the main character, she was also really inspired by the original Mad Max and Fury Road, Rambo steven spielberger's movie <laughs> duel and kill bill
2: wow <laughs> that is quite the mix of films the rambo is my favorite yeah. <laughs> i'm
0: surprised we didn't have a headband moment then oh
2: that <laughs> that my god <laughs> i hope that's on the cutting room floor some way and we're gonna get the director's cut right. <laughs>
1: In an interview with SignalHorizon.com, she talked about creating the Jen character, and she said, It was this strong desire to create my own genre film, combined with the idea of being fascinated with the Lolita character that brings upon her a lot of love and violence. For me, I realized it was powerful in terms of what it says about how women can be seen in society, and how they can be looked at and considered, and what kind of violence can unfold when they don't act the way people think they should act.
2: hmm mm-hmm. <laughs> that resonates
1: so yeah we'll talk
0: about that because i have some feelings about that oh okay (laughs) good good
1: So as for all of the violence and gore in this movie, she said that she was very inspired by the gore of South Korean revenge films. Um, She says she really loves mm. extreme levels of gore and violence that are in those films. <laughs> and, how it, don't say. <laughs> and how it becomes, she said, almost operatic or poetic, but also never takes itself too seriously. I think you do see that in this movie. Mm hmm
2: i mean I think you have to yeah that's true <laughs> i mean i guess to
1: take away some of the brutality of the experience it helps to to look at it that way mm-hmm.
2: yeah i mean i wouldn't have necessarily drawn that connection but now that you're saying it i'm like thinking of like
1: bedeviled and you know yeah mm-hmm. it it it's yeah yep yep mm-hmm. <laughs> So when she was writing this script, she knew it was going to be really hard for people to see her vision because there is just so little dialogue in the movie. Apparently there is only 14 minutes of dialogue in the movie and it's almost two hours long. So to make it easier for people to kind of get on board and hopefully give her some money, she wrote in (laughs) things uh, in the script that you're taught in film school that you should never put in. So she wrote what the character was thinking and also what was going to be on screen. And she also made a one minute long mood reel that was a collection of images as well as some kind of hardcore music playing and Amazing. she used that as a way to convey her idea to financiers. And then she said that she would often describe to them that the movie was going to be a revenge film somewhere between Kill Bill and Deliverance.
0: Hmm.
1: Okay, I mean, so she
0: almost had to create like a mood yeah, board, if exactly. you will, to sell
2: this exactly. movie. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the two out of three of the antagonists are kind of deliverance but make it french right so i mean like i yeah yeah yeah, okay okay
1: (laughs) so you probably noticed that the characters in the film use both french and english and the reason she decided to do this is because she could not get enough funding in france or in the u.s So Mm. in France, she said that it was really hard to get funding for a genre film that was from an unknown director. And she also couldn't get enough money from the U.S. because the film was too small and it didn't have a star attached to it. And she was really committed to using an unknown actor in the role. Mm -hmm. So she decided to use both languages and she got partial funding from each country and then was able to make the film
2: smart it's so funny every time i watch it i forget that there's parts of it in right because it is it is such a mood of a movie
1: right that i'm like oh right there's something right oh, yeah, yeah well okay. there's just so little dialogue you know and enough of mm-hmm. it's in english that i yeah I, I had forgotten too until they started speaking i was like oh wait <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she very pragmatically decided to set her film in the desert because she knew that she was going to be working with this tiny budget and she wanted to pick a location that would be have a visually impressive backdrop she wouldn't have to work too hard for that part of it and apparently it was a really hard shoot she shot the movie over the course of 32 days but she said that in france you can only shoot for eight hours a day which is not true in the u.s (laughs) so it was a very tight window and they also shot it in february so they were contending with freezing cold winds while matilda lutz the main character the woman who plays the main character was essentially wearing i mean almost a bikini the whole time
0: Yeah, I did see an interview with her where she was saying, especially the scene where she is in the cave, it it was very cold that night.
1: It was very cold that night, and they also had problems with the electrical working, and so it was a very hard shoot. But it's interesting because the movie makes you so hot because you're sweating the whole time, yes. you know? You feel yeah, the heat Well, Also,
0: it. you can only think of that poor woman's feet oh, running God, across the desert. I know,
1: there. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know.
2: <laughs> so wait, did you say it and I missed it where they actually shot the film? Uh,
1: I believe in France. but Oh, in France.
2: Okay. I'm, I do not know the climates of France very well. <laughs> I thought for sure this maybe, had to be... Maybe like... it
1: was somewhere else and I, I misread that. But, so Revenge came out Um, and made a big splash as being one of the first rape revenge films directed by a woman a woman and when it came out it sort of entered into the zeitgeist at this kind of perfect time to be very culturally relevant because apparently two months after they finished making the movie but before it came out the me too movement started yeah
2: aha so people were ready for a
1: little actual justice (laughs) (laughs) yeah got it exactly exactly oh i just got Uh the picture rachel is in fact wearing a beret i am in fact wearing a beret (laughs) (laughs) so she did an interview with film school rejects and they asked her did making revenge feel like a political act and she said quote yes definitely and i think genre films are very political movies i think that's what i like Mm -hmm. about genre films i like them when i was younger they felt like very powerful expressions about politics and society or inner fears or both. The fear of fitting into society or the fear of being rejected. Mm-hmm. So as for what is next for her, she is directing an episode of the new Sandman TV show. Rachel, I know you're excited yep. about that one. Oh, yes. Very, very excited. Are you super hyped for this, Andrew?
0: I Is this a Marvel thing?
2: No, it's Neil Gaiman's although it's it's set in the D C world, it is very okay. Neil Gaiman. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I am really bad at following not the main storyline of the Super. Uh (laughs) Fair, fair. fair. Like I know the main. I know the main stuff. I've seen all the ones that have been in theaters, but when it goes to like ancillary characters, like I don't. I'm trying to think, like Morbius, I never saw, or um, some of the the other ones, like uh, the the White Knight or whatever that was just on Disney Plus. I haven't. I do not have the hours in the day.
2: (laughs) That (laughs) is totally fair. I will say though San- Sandman is excellent because it's I don't know if you've read any Neil Gaiman like it is very un comic booky it's like very mythology kind of stuff um, that with, sounds cool it is cool and uh audible has i don't know if you do audiobooks but audio has like a dramatic reading of it with like an all-star cast it's really good if you're curious oh. that's just my plug to people out there and the, it's going to be on netflix and it looks amazing yes. and i'm already like all over it yeah so
1: she's directing <laughs> an episode of that and then she's also currently working on a movie that she both wrote and directed called mm. substance and it's starring demi mm. moore and ray leota oh <laughs> has she already shot it <laughs> um so it, there's not a lot of information out about it it's her first studio film and it's for Universal and I could find next to no information about it but Deadline said that it's a quote explosive feminist take on body horror okay I'm
2: very uh-huh. into this but I'm concerned that half the cast is no longer on this mortal coil oh
1: wait Ray Liotta yes. died <laughs> yes <laughs> that. that's why i asked her it was already shot. <laughs> yeah so it said that they started production last month when did he die like last month oh yeah oh i feel bad Ooh. for her i mean i feel bad for him obviously i mean you know never mind <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, boy. You know, I will say, I will say though, like, you t- you telling me that it's kind of in one of her next projects is set in kind of a, a comic book universe that makes a lot of sense given the vivid color and everything that she uses true. in this film. Mm-hmm. I think that could extend really easily into that kind of a, a world.
2: Mm-hmm. And sort of the, like, kind of classical myth underpinnings of this as well as in superhero. It Like, yeah, it makes sense. I'm excited to see what she does because that is such a weird, dark story. It'll be... Visually and visually, really, really lush. So I'm super excited to see what she does with that. Yeah, and, and I hope she re- she's able to make her name. Yeah, me
1: too. Because I
2: really, really want to watch that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would love to see her do body horror. I think that could be amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We know that she will not hold oh, back. Oh yeah, <laughs> which I am here for.
2: <laughs> all right, so that's all I got. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that was really cool. Let's get into our thoughts about the movie. We'll start with you, Andrew, in a non-spoilery way. Um, what are your thoughts of, about Revenge?
0: Uh, I will say that this is definitely a movie that is... um, You put the wrong cast in this movie, and it could turn really Mm -hmm. quick. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like everyone... And considering that our our main actress was only given five days to prepare for this role... Wow. um, It's kind of insane that she carries it so so well. Um, Without giving any spoilers, I think that this is kind of a tour de force of... um, of, of gore effects that are um, of, of, oh, yeah. the, of the likes that I did not remember. <laughs> oh! Um, so, did not remember
2: um, or blocked out to protect yeah, yourself. Exactly. <laughs>
0: um But yeah, like I said, I think it's carried by a, a pretty solid, um, tight script. I mean, I don't think that this movie overextends its welcome whatsoever. I think it's super tight and super neat, and nothing feels overdone or like over. I don't know, overworked, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say, not giving any spoilers, but you really do have to give this movie some leeway with some of the things that happen. Yeah. um, Because... We'll talk
2: about it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, I have a two um,
2: minds of some things going to talk
1: about. <laughs>
0: yeah. But overall, this one, like I said, it took me completely out of left field because I was not expecting something like this from Shudder. And, and overall, I have a really good time with it for as much as you can, given the subject matter.
2: Yeah. Yeah yeah i i i appreciate the, the your gentle like yes this is the subject matter i love this movie <laughs> <laughs> i'm not even gonna try to like couch it in any way it's probably one of my all time top 10 films like period Um, and it's definitely my number one in the rape revenge subgenre because I think it actually delivers on the promise of the genre and that the way that rape revenge is often talked about is like being cathartic but to me it's always felt like the catharsis end of it is more of a moral justification for being able to show the titillating like assault portion of it and this one like subverts all of that in a way that makes it a ton of fun. Uh, It's wish fulfillment in the gruesomest uh, of the gruesomest orders. It's stylish. It's atmospheric. There are parts of it that are incredibly tense when we get into some final act talk. Oh yeah. That is incredible. (laughs) Um, and, And, and I think it's this perfect example of why it's so important to have space for women to work in the exploitation genre, because it uh, subverts all the sort of like troubling societal underpinnings and says something fresh and subversive, but also still plays with the in that sandbox of exploitation and those tropes and those tools and two <laughs> gloriously like bloody uh, results. And I think this movie is kind of like the rape revenge equivalent of kicking up. You know, like when they talk about jokes needed to kick up. I think this one is that um, for the genre. And on top of it, it's just freaking cool, man. Yeah. This movie, it's gorgeous. It's cool. It's stylish. Um, Do not let the subgenre fool you. This is a must watch, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a must watch. I love this movie. I think this is probably the fourth time I've seen it now. And I was still just as enthralled as the first time I watched it. It's so much fun, which is a hard thing to say about a rape revenge movie. But this movie (laughs) is really fun. And I love that we don't. Like, the exploitation part of the movie isn't the rape scene itself. So if that's something that right. concerns you about watching this subgenre of horror, I think you're safe in this one because of the way it's portrayed. I love that it is this candy-coated neon aesthetic against this backdrop of the desert. It's so beautiful and so different and cool. I love almost everything that happens in this movie. I love that she just, like... <laughs> Caveat! Almost Almost everything. everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know <laughs> but i like that the camera here really plays with the male gaze i'm sure we'll talk about mm-hmm. that Ooh, yes. i love what a badass she becomes over the course of the movie and just how much violence and gore is in this each time i watch it i forget about the ending and just how much blood (laughs) leaves a certain character's body by the end it's just it's so good and yeah i just think that a lot of people don't want to watch this genre because of movies they saw in the 70s and 80s and how troubling Mm -hmm. a lot of those scenes were and how sort of much it required of you as a viewer to get through it and this movie is almost the polar opposite of that in a lot of ways but it still, like you were saying, yeah. plays with all those tropes. So yeah, I love it. You got to watch it. Have
0: you <laughs> Have you guys ever seen a movie? It was from about 1990, and I think it's a straight to video. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a sexploitation movie, but it's called Blood Games. No, no. Tell us. So it's alternate title, if that leads you to anything, is called Baseball Babes and Hillbilly Hill. <laughs> um, oh, my
1: God.
0: But if you and it, it's also one of the first exploitation movies um, directed by a woman. Oh, so okay. I, I see a lot of similarities with how this movie is filmed and how that movie was filmed. And given there's like a 30 year difference, it's kind of just interesting to think about um, how those two movies play off of each other. Um, so it, it, if you like this movie, maybe give Blood Games yeah, a we're chance. Gonna have to review um, that. that sounds
1: awesome. Oh yeah, I
0: know they did it. I know they did it on Blu-ray a couple years ago, and you can also stream it on some weird thing like Stream Picks or one of those. It actually looks ones. like it's on Tubi
1: right now. Oh, Tubi! Oh, <laughs> yes.
0: So if you ever want, not not that I'm c- trying to create a trope where I'm always going to come on for the rape prevention <laughs> movies, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> if, you ever, if you ever want me to come back for that movie, yes, I, um, I love talking about that movie.
2: A hundred percent. We will get that happening. (laughs) I'm excited. I've never heard of this. So thank you, Andrew. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Okay, well, let's get into the synopsis and then our review, our full, full review. Yeah, so spoilers are coming, people. Yes, so there will be spoilers in this review, potentially. We'll see, because I don't know what I'm going to say until I say it. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) in this film, Jen joins her boyfriend, Richard, for a very romantic getaway to his desert estate. Uh, They're going to have, like, a sexy good time. Uh, Unfortunately, he does have a wife, um, and he also has some terrible friends that decide to join them for the weekend. They have one night of a kind of a fun, flirty evening. Uh, the following day, one of his friends decides that he um, he would like to have sex with her, and she would not. And you, this is a rape revenge film, so you know what happens next. What follows is a series of betrayals. Uh, Richard, the boyfriend, first tries to pay her off. Uh, when she refuses to take a payment, he tricks her uh, into getting close to a... Um, cliff and pushes her off um, she manages to survive the fall and what follows is her you know attempt for survival that leads to some very gruesome revenge until she finally faces off with richard again in one of the most excellent climax scenes unfilmed, <laughs> and that is my very very light <laughs> synopsis of this yeah film. no that's good all right great so now that you are free to say whatever you would like andrew what what is on your mind with revenge
0: so i think that uh, in order for you to get into this movie the inciting event of her falling off the cliff you have to give that a little bit of leeway mm-hmm. because let's be honest here that girl is dead
1: <laughs> right <laughs> so, Right? yeah i mean you cannot be impaled oh. on a tree and just burn it down and get up and walk I away would say and then set yourself on yes. fire yeah <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: so i think if you can get beyond that you can kind of welcome everything that happens in this movie from her cauterizing the wound the way she Mm -hmm, does mm -hmm. to all the things that happen in the most insane way as possible i think if you can get beyond the the tree incident and what happens to her then you're really going to get into this movie because that is kind of the the incident that you have to be like okay with some horror you have to kind of take it with a grain of salt i'm not i want to skip to the end yet but there's also another character that goes through something harrowing that there is no way that they live through as long as they do. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, overall, I mean, I do want to give a lot of props to our, our main girl. She she carries a movie, obviously. Um, but also, I, I think that Richard does a really good job of yeah. being kind of um the flip of the switch guy because at the beginning when they arrive you are kind of on board for them you're like wow they're a really sexy couple Mm -hmm. and you're just like you're into it like i don't know it's just them and then you you slowly unpeel the onion if he gets a call from his wife and then his friends show up a day early and then everything continues to snowball until he finally betrays her by saying that she's going to get the helicopter for her and then pushing her off the cliff obviously yeah. like we talked about um but i just think that he does a really good job of of kind of making that villainous switch because if you never watched the trailer for this movie you're gonna get a huge slap in the face when that happens when the slap
2: so, in the face happens yes yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> well, and also because i think with richard there's a moment when he realizes what's happened that you think he's gonna do the right thing because he comes in to check on her mm-hmm. and then he's like i'll take care of it And you think that he's going to, you know, be a good guy. And so when he doesn't and when he turns into such a monster, uh, I do feel like it surprises you a little bit and catches you off guard, you know, the first time you watch it.
0: And then he does like literally turn into the antithesis of a monster.
1: yes,
0: (laughs) Um, Betraying even his own friends in the process of kind of going through all this. And you kind of learn that he doesn't give a shit about anybody but himself at the end of the day. No. But...
2: I mean, that's one of the things I love about this is this takedown of this sort of like alpha male type, right? That like underneath this is sociopathy, <laughs> essentially, like this alpha male type. Um, yeah. Richard is terrifying in this, and he's terrifying because he is someone you have met or run across in your life, yes. very likely. He is such a mundane, normal, everyday monster that moves amongst us, and that is why he's so scary in my opinion. So did
0: you guys get the impression that she knew that she was um, having an affair or oh, yeah. that she thought that she was yeah. actually hurt? N- yeah. Okay. So I, 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 I thought so, but I couldn't quite get there with the character of Did she know I, that this was I under false pretenses? I think that she pretenses? knew
1: that he was having an affair, but when he actually spoke to his wife on the phone, I think she was hurt by that. And that was the reaction. At least that's how I read it in that, that Got scene where it. he yeah. follows her back into the bedroom and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, is jokey about her. Peach butt, or whatever she <laughs> <it>
0: says.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of butts in this movie.
1: Amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, um, you started talking about this a little bit, Ariel, but the way that this movie plays with the male gaze, I think, is so interesting, yeah. right? The way that the sort of the first act of this film really lives in this place of male gaze. Like she's. You are seeing her in pieces, you know, like she is a torso when you initially meet mm-hmm. her. And and the way that the camera engages with her, it really is like pushing you and challenging you to kind of – and the way that she's behaving, like it's asking you to be like uh, agree with the guys that maybe she's asking for some of this. Like she's put herself in a position where these things can happen. And then after the assault takes place, what happens is the gaze changes significantly um, and you she it becomes – like uh, it switches in a way that like indicts those kinds of ideas that I think are real is really really interesting yeah
1: I totally agree because the camera does this thing where it hyper focuses like you said with these close-ups on individual body parts her butt, or the binoculars yeah, where or yeah looking at her mm-hmm. mouth moving you know or and and the way that she like our first introduction she's sucking on a lollipop for instance You know, it's all of these things to make you think about her in a certain way and as kind of an indictment on those types of movies, too. And then the Mm -hmm. camera completely switches. And when we see her later, there's like a power to her and the way that she's filmed that is really different than the beginning of the movie.
0: Yeah, I I think that that was my thing when you were talking about earlier how um, she doesn't act how people think she should, but she actually is, she's actually acting at the beginning of this movie Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Like you think she should, mm-hmm. I mean she comes off as vapid, her only real um, character arc is that she wants to move to l a right. uh, just to get discovered so you're kind of caught off guard at the beginning of this movie where you know she 's doing this sexy dance and she 's kind of just like um, toying around with with his friend and you know kind of sexy dancing on him where you're like, well, man, I thought we were going to watch a movie like where we were going to be empowered by her, and you know it does <laughs> we do eventually get to that point but in the first 15 minutes, I was like rolling my eyes in the back of my head because right. I was like, she's actually acting exactly like I thought <laughs> a, a young blonde woman that ha- wears an I Love L.A. t-shirt <laughs> around, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, in, a, in a movie setting, right, yes, yes, you course, know what I mean? Like, so so when, it, when she does kind of change and, and circumvents a lot of those attitudes that she was going there before, I almost wish they would have included just a little eye roll or a little, I don't know, something to give her a little bit more intelligence early on in the movie because Mm. it pays off in strides later in the movie. Uh, But we don't really get a full characterization of her, uh until kind of like later on when she kind of takes the power in and of herself Mm -hmm. um i I don't know if we need i don't know if we need like a full backstory for the girl but i just wish we could have gotten a little more i don't know um dimension earlier yeah Yeah. well i mean
1: I, i do think you don't know you know a whole lot about her and and that may have been helpful but i think what the director is trying to accomplish by showing her in this light in the beginning of the movie is asking you to interrogate your own kind of preconceptions and that somebody who acts this way and dresses this way is doing the thing that the guy said she was doing, asking for it basically. I think it's asking you to look at that, that just because she's flirty and dances provocatively that she dresses in skimpy clothing doesn't mean that what happened to her was okay and i totally understand what you're saying because i think that it does kind of you know get your hackles up a little like why are we showing this woman this way but i think that it's very intentional and i think that what she's wearing later in the movie is also super intentional that you know it would be better if you're fighting bad guys and running around the desert to be wearing more clothing, right? (laughs) And to be, but, and be wearing shoes. At least for skincare. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) The UVs alone are a killer, man. But I think by showing her in a bikini later, one, it it has a tougher look to it, and I think that that's Mm -hmm. intentional. But it also is showing that, like, her clothing didn't matter. It doesn't matter what she was wearing, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. And she's just as powerful wearing, you know, uh, skimpy clothing as she would be fully clothed. I
2: personally love, like, th- anytime we can mess with and mess up and explore this place of being an imperfect victim, yeah. I think it's it's good and compelling. But I also think it's, like, super important because that's one of the ways I think this movie kind of subverts some of the, like, really problematic Societal stuff is around, like, women needing to always be the perfect victim in order to be worthy of being believed or seen as a victim. Like, they have to earn their worthiness of victimhood. And so, like, when she goes totally against that and then you la- you have that kind of come around where you're like, oh, no, I'm, like, totally on board with this character. Even, like, at the in the beginning stages where he's, like, making her uncomfortable, like, I mean... We've all likely been in a situation where there was a dude coming on too strong and you yes. like have to like play to appeasing the ego to make sure that you remain in a safe space. Like all that stuff is where that perception begins to shift. and I and I think that you're right that like it would have been nice to have had that wink to the camera, but I think it's intentional that there isn't. So, like, both things are true. Yeah, and it does kind yeah, of ask yeah. a lot of you in the beginning
1: to get on yes. board with her. Um, yes. But yes. I think it's yes. important. And I agree what you said about the that breakfast scene, Rachel, in the beginning. <sighs> when she comes out and he's all smiles and happy to see her and she thinks everything's okay. But then you see where that smile turns predatory and creepy Mm -hmm. and you watch Mm -hmm. her face there's this real subtle acting she does where her face and her body language changes as she realizes this isn't a safe place for her to be anymore and she goes into appease mode yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah
0: like i i also did appreciate her switch when you know he does have her up against the glass and um dimitri walks in Mm -hmm. and she just has this very subtle look on her face like please do something please say something please, please, please. But she doesn't say anything. Right. And it, it, it's it's a really interesting acting choice uh, and directorial choice for her to remain silent in that moment because you just know that this this is the inciting incident and you don't want it to happen right. to her. It's... But uh, And then Dimitri just walks away Ugh. and turns oh, on the TV. And it so is so awful. disheartening. Especially
1: as you're watching him you know, swimming as it's happening behind yeah. him. It's so awful. But yeah, I think it's interesting that they have her fawn and then freeze before she finally fights later. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's definitely true.
0: And what I will say about her too is, I like that she's not a perfect predator. Mm. Like yeah, she that's true. makes mm-hmm. mis- She makes so many mistakes, <laughs> and I just, <laughs> yeah. I honestly, like, if this was me, I wouldn't know that there was a, a like a, a pushback on the gun when I shot right. it off. Right. So like, like I wouldn't know to like. Uh, look behind me when he shoots her ear off, for God's sake. Like, she just, she's not the perfect predator, like mm-hmm. in all of these movies that we've seen before, with all of a sudden. The, the the you know the women in in these rape revenge movies or whoever's doing the revenge can do no wrong now like they are the all powerful creature that is going to take revenge at any risk necessary mm-hmm. but she is in trouble a lot which I really appreciate <laughs> yeah because
1: a lot of times all of a sudden people have skills that they have no way of possessing right you know mm-hmm. and here she does kind of have to figure it out as she goes along. <laughs> And I think that's good for both from character yeah. perspective,
2: but also because it maintains stakes. Right. You know, that's like in those final scenes, which we definitely are going to get to, like, I, I the first time I watched this, I didn't know how yeah. it was going to end. I know I wanted it to end, but because she was never a superhero, you're right. Like, I didn't – there, there are some real stakes in that scene. I was like, is this movie going to gut punch me or is it going to give me what I want? Am I going to get – This, or am I going to get Promising Young Woman? I don't know. I don't know, (laughs) and I'm scared.
1: Right?
0: Right. Well, and the stakes are set up so early when she has her peyote, like, Mm -hmm. dream sequence where you could see how easily she could get her head shot, like, shot off real quick if she ran into the wrong person at the wrong time. Thankfully, that's all kind of a, a trick, but it was definitely... Um, for a movie that I didn't know anything about going into it, we where we have the dream sequence, I was taken aback because it's not only a single dream, but it's a double dream where she gets her head blown off twice. (laughs) Oh my god! Yeah, such a
1: crazy. I love that part.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, listen, you
1: can't cauterize that type of wound and just like walk away like it's fine. But I, I do love it. I really love that part. Me too.
2: I mean,
0: it is. Yeah, it is.
1: Give it. Yes. I mean, she gets a phoenix on her body. That's one of the
2: things I love about this. It's not subtle,
1: but it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) I love that kind of stuff in this movie, though, where the symbolism is actually really straightforward and easily decipherable, but it's not cliche. Where a lot of times movies fall into that trap, where if they make their sort of symbols and metaphor too easy for you to understand, they become just ugh eye rolling cliche and here i feel like you know she's being reborn she has a phoenix on her stomach she's reborn in a cave which is usually a symbol for a vagina you know mm-hmm. the the apple is like this perfect crisp apple and then it's consumed and starts to rot there are all these symbols that you can see and they're it's easy for you to get them and understand them without it yeah making you roll your eyes i, I really appreciate that about it yeah,
0: yeah. Even in the moments where she is like becoming the badass, it's still not all, so over yeah. the top. Like she has the moment where she comes out of the cage, and you're like, "Wow, she's a badass now." And then in the next scene, she runs. Very
2: true. So I will say, I have a little. It's not even a con. It's okay. more just like a, a concern that I have, and it, it's it's. It starts with the tree. Like you said, there's a sort of barrier for entry. It is the Rorschach tree. You're <laughs> in or you're out, right? But there's also these little inconsistencies and kind of asking you to, you know, take this with a grain of salt, you know, with the the cauterizing of the wound. But the, like, the can should be backwards and it's frontwards right. or things like that. And my issue with it is not that it's not cool because it is cool it invites kind of it like makes space for this narrative that this is just a dream sequence and she never actually got her catharsis and i hate it when that happens so that's just me being mad about that kind of plot device is that is that something that struck you guys going through this cave scene
1: yeah i mean i think that because of the scene with the peyote and stuff it does leave it open to interpretation where you could say she died in that cave and that, that was all – everything that happened was just some kind mm-hmm. of dream. I think the one mm-hmm. thing that maybe is – that goes against that one, I don't like that interpretation. So I, Ex- I'm going agreed. to discard it. But, <laughs> agreed. <laughs> but also I think what Andrew just said kind of leads you to believe that it wasn't a dream sequence. Because if it was a dream, mm. wouldn't she have been better at all of it, you know? Yes. Right, right. <laughs>
2: yes. You're right. You're right. The Andrew principle has now solved this problem. Thank you. you. We shall henceforth call it that. (laughs) Excellent. So, okay. Another thing with symbolism is, of course, the deaths. The way that each of them are dispatched is so kind of like beautifully ironic. Whereas, you know, our first guy, when uh, she blinds the guy who watched and did nothing. And then with the, we'll get into this. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but when she she penetrates the rapist's foot and turns it into like a bleeding vagina yes and then of course at the end when she shoots the boyfriend it is in the place where she was punctured with by the tree and i think it comes back to you said like you said that there there is a lot of symbolism in this but it's not like it's not a reach you know like it's not the most subtle symbolism but i think you know it works it works right right
1: Right. (laughs) yeah And, man, those deaths are just so bloody and so gory. And I love when What's-His-Face finds his dead friend in that lake where Mm -hmm. his body floats up and he freaks out. That corpse is so mangled and so bloated and so disgusting. Mm -hmm. It's, man, it's great it really it's proof that there should be more bloat you know like more bloat in films (laughs) so gross they're really underestimating the need for bloat (laughs) yeah and pulling that glass out it's not just he has to like yank out a piece of glass he has to dig around in that wound to even find the glass to pull it out it's so brutal
0: Well, and it's the same for when she is taking out the piece of wood in the cave. Mm. I mean, she is digging with that knife into the wound. And that's, like, where this movie is just so successful is it pulls no punches when it comes to, like, the realistic of the gore. I mean, right after that glass scene where he has to even drive with that foot, you're just like, oh, my God. God. When
2: he's, like, hitting the gas and it's just, like, spraying blood, I'm like... The bloodless boner is strong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.
0: I, I think that the, uh, the, the 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 biggest revenge piece that I really just wanted to happen is when he goes past her after he's been shot in the head. I just wanted to go right off that cliff. Yeah. I just wanted the
2: car to go right off that cliff. Right. I mean, I know she needed the car, but a little explosion, well, just a little,
1: <laughs> would <have> been nice. <laughs>
2: yeah, his death because he. I mean, he definitely got. I mean, it it, it elevates in gruesomeness with each one. And it's interesting that the person who gets the bloodiest and most like violent death is the person who didn't actually do the assault, but like actually betrayed her trust and her loyalty. Like the wound was deeper. Um, And so it was interesting to see how that all kind of played out. I will say, though, the most fun death has to be the I should have his name in front of me. The the rapist character, Um, because that thing Stan. Stan, Ooh, Stan gets it bad. All the the, the different – he gets shot. He gets,
1: you know, the foot thing. And then, you know, it's just so – it's very, very, very satisfying. Yeah. It's, it's really cathartic. And I love that with these three guys, we kind of get three types of toxic, awful men. Because we have mm-hmm. the alpha male guy, like you were talking about, who is sort of that classic abuser and a narcissist and wealthy and all that kind of stuff. And then we get the rapist guy. And then we get the indifferent guy. Who Mm -hmm. will just go along with his friends and even cover up their crimes, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like maybe he doesn't want to take part in it himself, but he's going to, you know, going to go along with them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And just to, like, you know, go back to what you said earlier about her uh, really Mm -hmm. going after Richard at the end, you do have a moment where you think she's gonna get in that car and yeah. just drive off. And mm-hmm. then he gets she hears him on the radio, and it's that voice that compels her to be like, No, I'm gonna mm-hmm.
1: finish this. And, <laughs> so, <"All right." laughs> and finish it, she
2: does. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, let's shall we get into that final scene? Yeah, I let's think do we it. must, right? Let's do All it. right. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, what I love so much about this is that she treat he treats her like a piece of meat. You know, like, she is a sexual object that he pretends to care about, but we see where that there, she was always disposable for him. Um, She was not human to some degree to him, the way that he was able to just push her off a cliff. So when she turns him into, like, literal hamburger <laughs> at the end of this movie, yeah. it is incredibly satisfying. Like, you know, obviously because, you know, we're watching a Reaper revenge film. But also just in terms of the narrative, like, yes, we have we have completely flipped the script. The person, the the butcher has become the meat. It's it's very I don't know. Did that strike you guys?
0: yeah i mean let's just talk about that tracking shot to yeah. begin with oh, of oh my God. when he comes back and you know he's getting out of the uh he's he sticks his head in the pool and then he gets out of the pool mm-hmm. goes into the house and then he get you know gets undressed he takes a shower he comes back out. it's one mm-hmm. long shot and you're just you're waiting for her to show up but you're like well maybe she's not going to and then when she finally does you're like well now it's on and, uh, <laughs> and she, <laughs> and it's and it is funny, I, I did hear I forget who I heard talk about this, but it's very interesting the color of glass um in the mm-hmm, house mm-hmm. that at the beginning, when her, the two friends show up, she is seen through a pink piece of glass. And at the end, when she oh, is finally there yeah. standing with a gun, she is through oh, a blue piece right. of gla- glass. So it's just an interesting dichotomy with, you know, kind of like gender stereotypes yeah. and how we interpret those colors. I'm not sure if the filmmaker was trying to say something um, bigger there, but it just struck me as like, oh, now she has become the predator. You right. know what I mean?
2: That's Interesting interesting because i mean there's this thing about like writing strong female characters that was much more prevalent in the 2000 early 2000s where they basically would just like superimpose male characteristics onto a female character and be like look she's an action hero strong character and what i love so much about jen is that like so much of her strength is either rooted in female power but or just like gender neutrality you know what i mean and so it's interesting that they're playing she's playing with these colors at the end that but also i guess you got to think about the gaze. sorry i'm like processing this as you're saying this the gaze when we see it before is it the men looking at her both times
0: it's it's i mean it's at. They see it from both angles. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's the way she's portrayed and the way she's dressed. I mean, if you remember when she's seen through kind of the the pink gaze, if you will, she's in kind of a crop top and underwear. Um, She's very vulnerable in that moment. And when you see her through the blue glass, she has a gun. She is ready. She's she's powerful.
2: That's interesting. But I'm wondering if it's like about the male perception of like what they interpret as strength. I don't know. I'm going to have to think about this some more. This is interesting. (laughs) I guess I'm... I'm gonna have to watch the movie again. Oh, oh no. <laughs>
1: what a hardship.
0: <laughs> well, and then and then we can talk about the other color that happens at the end of this movie. Oh blood. yeah. So,
1: <laughs> so much blood. I mean this this whole scene is so great. And one of the things I like too is the shower scene. We have that scene so much in horror movies where it's the woman who's like naked and vulnerable in a shower. Mm-hmm. And I love that mm-hmm. it's flipped here where he's the one who is vulnerable and naked and that the camera, instead of focusing on her butt, is focused on his butt in this <laughs> in this part of the movie. Yeah.
0: And I do, and I do love that he literally spends the entire last act of the yes. movie completely naked yes, and vulnerable. Exactly. Yes. He could have easily grabbed a pair of <laughs> pants or shorts <laughs> right. or something on the way back from the shower, right. but they didn't have him do that.
1: <laughs> so. I appreciate the hubris. Yeah, and yeah. He's, <laughs> been, he's kind of been stripped of all of that traditionally masculine gear he has you know where like all of the clothing that he was wearing and the guns and the vehicles and all of that and he's just naked here and she is strapped to the nines right she's got all of the Mm -hmm. the bullets and the guns and stuff it's just he's also stripped of all the artifice right like all of his clothes
2: everything what this is the true who he is at his core which we saw little hints Mm -hmm. and pieces of throughout the film but now in the end like literally stripped down bare and there he's just the like the predator
1: yeah yes (laughs) and the way that she stalks him through that house and they're running through the hallways as he's just gushing blood so much blood is in this movie just like all over the walls all over the floor it's great yeah (laughs)
0: i saw an interview with mm-hmm. the director and our, our lead actress and she referred to the director at one point uh just taking yes. buckets of blood and she looked more <laughs> she looked more like a painter than the director. <laughs>
2: <that> <laughs> <month>. <laughs> i mean how did they not just fall constantly that hallway looked like a lawsuit waiting to oh, happen yeah.
0: well i mean that is almost her downfall yeah, that, that yeah. is in the almost blood. how you're she right. you're right yeah
1: I like that scene where he has finally gotten up and he has a gun and he's standing behind a corner and she's coming down the hallway and she stops and she's like trying to figure out where he is just like listening and stuff. And she almost takes a step forward where he would have just shot her head off, except then she sees his blood spilling out on the floor Mm -hmm. and realizes Mm -hmm. where he is. Oh, I love that part. It's so good. And she's becoming so smart there.
0: And the way that it's filmed is so tense because, you know, if she takes Mm -hmm. like one more step forward, she could get anything blown off, whether that's her hand or her head or anything. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you're kind of seeing it, because the way they play with that hallway, because it's kind of a square hallway, there's so many different angles that somebody could be hiding behind that you do tend to get like really antsy during that part.
2: Yeah, it's and the way that they're flipping directions or that you know speed do you take the, do you take the chance and do you run but do you run in it it's really a great setup it's so simple i don't i can't believe i've never seen anything quite like it before and it just pays off it pays off it's such a great kind of
1: small but amazingly climactic scene yeah oh my gosh i love when he saran wraps his intestines back in yes, his body basically. because he's meat yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely uh, he treated her like meat and now he's the meat and i
0: I love that um, even though that is an extended sequence, she kind of always has the mm-hmm. upper hand until... Um, a, a very simple moment where she doesn't and he you know, he has his line about, you know, why do women always fight? And then it's from then on, he gets taken out so easy. It's like boom, boom, and dead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> because this is why. <laughs> yeah, I could see why this was a banger
1: in the Me Too era, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> it's so cathartic. I mean, that ending is just a breath of fresh air. A bloody mm-hmm. breath of fresh air. <laughs>
2: indeed indeed
0: and then of course we get like the hero shot of her at the pool and she hears the helicopter and you're like where is revenge
2: right i know (laughs) i would not be mad at following whatever she does even if it's just like a story of Jin making it in hollywood like i'm ready (laughs) i'm ready oh i love how she
1: steps over his body too to get out of there like she could have gone yeah. a different mm-hmm. direction or moved him or something, but she just steps over his, cor- his corpse and keeps on going. It's great. It's
2: really good. It's really good. All right. Awesome.
1: All right. Any other thoughts, final thoughts on this film?
0: Man, I think that we covered most of yeah. it. I mean, we kinda went B for B. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I just will applaud again the director and the cinematographer that just put so much color into mm-hmm. a uh what could be a very stark uh like area, because the desert, you don't think, when you think the desert, you don't think like neon colors and like electronic music. And like, I think that's one thing we didn't actually talk about was the music, which is also another great thing about this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, overall, it was really fun to go back to it. I had not seen it since I saw it uh, in what, twenty seven. Mm-hmm. 2018 when this came out yep. um so it was fun to come back to and uh get a reappreciation for because i think i was a little turned off by some of the gore
2: because i was just like i don't want to relive that again <laughs> <laughs> yes i also had those
1: very human thoughts about this movie <laughs> um so i was actually just looking at my notes and i forgot one thing i actually did no. know where it was filmed and it's not france oh. it was morocco <laughs>
2: That feels more More accurate. accurate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I was like, I really don't know (laughs) geography.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The synth score is amazing. I was just, as you were talking about that and the neon, I was thinking about that scene when he's like riding the dirt bike at night back to the house right before the climactic Mm -hmm. scene. And that music is just like pumping. And then there's the light, the red light from below lighting him up. right. such a Mm -hmm. cool, such a cool shot. And you can feel sort of that like 80s DNA in it a little bit. Um, without it feeling too referential. Uh yeah, yeah. This one is it's a great movie. This is a great choice, Andrew. <laughs> Thank you for giving me an excuse to watch it and talk about it again. <laughs> All right, cool. So final recommendations. Would you recommend Revenge? Uh, Andrew.
1: Absolutely. Excellent. How about you? Ariel. Yeah, I would absolutely recommend this movie. It's a it's fantastic. I do have one con. We didn't do cons, oh, but I do have one how dare you <laughs> yeah no, go ahead what's your con my only con is that our indifferent man the the character mm-hmm. who doesn't do anything
2: he yes. is
1: a larger guy and Dimitri. he also is portrayed as being really gross and eating junk food yeah. the whole time so yeah. that's my one con but it's very that's small fair. and an otherwise fantastic movie that I think everybody should watch
2: yeah I agree that's fair that's fair that being said this movie is perfect and I will have no <laughs> <laughs> Recommend. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Awesome. Okay, so now we're going to play a little game that you guys originated on your podcast, which is, and this is a problematic question I'm about to ask. Who's the hottie? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Andrew. Confess. <laughs> Listen, this is pride. <laughs>
0: This is Pride
2: Month,
0: <laughs> you know, and, you know, we do get a reprieve for the first, like, 10, 15 mm-hmm. minutes of this movie where Richard's really yes. sweet. Yeah. And I can't deny that he's got the square jaw yeah. and the, the, the it's it's a thing, unfortunately, for me. I hear so, you. There it is. It's
2: <laughs> <You're> Richard. <right>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. I have a history of being attracted to terrible characters. So I'm very delighted to not be alone in confessing that I am so <laughs> i can't help it he's like a hot ginger which is like the center of my venn diagram of hotness like, I can't. so even though i've seen the movie multiple times now and i know where it's gonna go i'm like those first few scenes he's hot yeah and then i know i'm gonna get to see that naked booty. <laughs> but i'm a creep so what are you gonna do how about you ariel who's the hottie in this movie
1: um jen yeah,
2: that's also a good answer. <laughs> All right. Again, this is problematic to ask this question about this movie, but how do we make it more gay?
0: Oh, that's interesting. Um, there, It would have been interesting if there was sort of a bisexuality between Stan and oh. Richard that was kind of unrequited. And that's why kind of Stan goes after Oh my Jen. gosh, that's a great um, idea. So I think that there could be something there with a a little bit of Mm -hmm. jealousy as far as him being pushed away as just being a friend rather than maybe something more that Stan would maybe Yeah,
1: Well, because the friendship dynamics are already really interesting between the three of them. So I do feel like that could add an extra layer to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good answer. That's better than my just make Richard Jessica's Chastain answer. (laughs) But
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would also take that movie for the record. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, this has been so much fun. I'm so glad that you came on the show. You have been an amazing guest. No surprise there. I hope you had a little bit of fun, too, talking about this movie. Let's get some more plugs before you go in case uh, where can people listen to the show? Where can they find you on social media? All that good stuff.
0: Yeah, you can find Friday the 13th Horror Podcast anywhere where you can pull up a podcast by just searching for us. But um, you can also engage with us on social media. We are... Uh, really, really engaged on Twitter at at 13 and on Instagram at Friday 13 We have a Facebook, but yeah. if you want to get in touch with us, <laughs> I mean, I would, I would go to one of the other shows. So. <laughs> sure. <Shame.
2: laughs> Excellent. Well, everybody, you should be hitting that subscribe button if you aren't already. It's a great show. You'll get more of Andrew. Hello. Why wouldn't you want more of that in your life? <laughs> 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 all right if you want to get in touch with us like uh andrew said we I do have a facebook but maybe hit us up a few of the other ways instead you can email us at rachel at zombie that's g-r-r-l-z.com or you can hit us up on instagram and twitter at zg Podcast. plural ariel is always putting amazing stuff up on there and uh you feel free to slide into the dms if you have some thoughts Uh, If you're looking for something spooky to watch tonight, because you've already, like me, watched Revenge probably too many times, you can check out our video-on-demand and streaming calendar over on the Zombie Girls website, where we keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on on video-on-demand and streaming. And uh, if you love us and want to support us, there's a couple ways you can do that. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods, or you can join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Girls. All right, so that's it for us, except for we have to pick what we are going to be reviewing on the next episode, and it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it is. So I'm wondering if you've already seen this, Andrew. Um, we're going to be covering
1: the film Watcher, yes! directed by Chloe O'Keefe. Uh, I, I was really hoping you were going to pick that. <laughs> <laughs> We've been looking forward to seen- this one for a this long isn't, time. So.
0: This isn't The Watcher from, like, the early 2000s. No, no. it's a brand new okay. movie
1: that just came out. Yeah.
0: I'm just thinking of that weird Keanu Reeves movie. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> no, not that one. No,
2: Watcher in the Woods with Betty Davis. Uh. <laughs> no, so this one is uh did you you watch the new VHS, right? Yeah, okay, so uh-huh. the Ratma segment,
0: one of the better. Uh, yes. Yeah.
2: So she her uh, that's directed by Chloe Akuno, who's directing this and it is think this might be her full first feature it's film. her first feature we'll her. Yeah. yeah we'll find out when I do my research for the next episode okay so synopsis a young American woman moves with her husband to Bucharest and begins to suspect that the stranger who watches her from the apartment a building across the street may be the local serial killer so Sounds this amazing. is gonna be amazing uh it stars Micah Monroe who I am obsessed with
0: oh yes, yes. she's amazing She's so yeah.
2: great. Um, so yeah, that's what we're going to be covering for the next episode. So thank you again, Andrew. This has been so much fun. Yeah, I hope you were serious when you said you want to come back and cover blood games because we would oh love to Oh my God, I would love to. So. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, in that case, Ariel, unless people are sticking around for the extended episode, take us out.
1: Alright, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the More Deadly Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our review of Revenge with Andrew from Friday the 13th. Thank you so much for being here. This was a blast, and we'll see you next time for Watcher, directed by Chloe Okuno. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.
2: Bye.
1: Thanks to everyone for listening and thanks to my
2: co-host Ariel who's always willing to come on here and geek out about horror with me. And finally, thanks to the women who make the horror films we love so much. Production of this episode was done by yours truly. Editing was done by Ariel Missman rucker And our theme song, More Deadly, was by Elizabeth Kyle and Eric Newell. hello everyone and welcome to the extended episode i don't know about you but i just had so much fun
1: yeah that was so great andrew was awesome he said so many great things about the movie he's such a nice guy uh it was great i've been listening to their show for a while now so it was really cool to get to talk to him yeah isn't that fun like
2: yes and, and i know you're like never meet your heroes like people let you down but i have not really found
1: that to be the case in podcasting I don't yeah. know. Like, they're, everybody we've talked to has been pretty great. Yeah, I totally agree. Because sometimes you wonder if it's just an artifice that they're putting on for their mm-hmm. show. Yeah, like with me, I'm a monster in real life. <laughs> <laughs> <Wwise>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have my moments. <laughs> oh, my God. But yeah, yeah, he was... He was great. I forgot to mention to him, though, I'll have to do this if we get him to come on again, that his Barbara Crampton interview that they did for Mm -hmm. their show, Mm -hmm. it was so good. Oh, she's Aww. a delight. I would love to talk to her at some I point. I love her so I know. I much. Know. I love her so much.
2: And like the Barbara Krantz that is happening delights me to no end.
1: Well, yeah, because in the interview, she talks about how she actually wasn't that into horror before or that into the horror community, like when she first did Reanimator. Mm. But that in the last few years, as she's been doing more and more horror stuff, she's, like, really invested in the horror community now and just, like, loves how creative it is and everything, so. It's creative and
2: it's, like, also a genre that appreciates her. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, she... We love her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And there's, like, all of these dudes that have that particular sort of like iconic status mm-hmm. in the horror genre right so it's rad to see that happening for barbara crampton because she totally was agree. also in reanimator yeah. you know what yes. i mean and like it, it usually is reserved for like you know like don't get me wrong i love bruce campbell but like that kind of like adoration is reserved for guys right, right.
1: bruce campbell robert england people like that yeah i
2: mean like there's a little linnea quickly there's a little yeah. you know debbie yeah. Rochon, but there's also like I don't know. It's just different. I don't know. It feels like there's something different in the way that they think, like, maybe because she's still working in, in genre and like getting like mm-hmm. more, hor- like they're indie, but more high profile indies. I don't know. Like anything with her and Larry Fessenden, I'm like, I'm in. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> we'll watch this is, in an instant. Yeah. This is my, to- like, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, okay? <laughs> Barbara Crampton <laughs> and Larry Fessenden.
1: <laughs> is that weird? no i think that's great God, i love that what was the vampire movie they did um jacob's she, wife jacob's wife yeah. was so, so fun that was such a fun movie
2: i mean even though we did see a lot more fessin and butt than i was expecting <laughs> she's so great at it. And when she tears that head off oh woo!
1: so good
2: so good so good that was a really that was one that i don't think made our top 10 but i think it made our honorable mentions it might have
1: at least was one that we talked about a lot how much we liked it but i don't feel like it gets enough love yeah i really don't agree her turn as she sort of realized like comes into her own because she was this you know kind of religious housewife before yeah and then her hair and clothing change and her total like her complete attitude and the way she holds herself changes oh it's so good
2: I also love the way it subverts the thing at the end. Typically, like, you'll get this empowerment from vampirism. But Mm -hmm. at the end, you know, they're vampires, so there has to be some sort of karmic justice. Right. No, no, no. Nope. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like this weird, like, middle-aged horror that Mm -hmm. I... I don't know, maybe I really appreciated it. I don't know. I really love that movie. I I think there is a certain kind of thing that happens as you get older where you like have some reflection about your life. I'm sure, you know, like midlife. I'm not the first person to talk about a midlife crisis, but you know what I mean? Like seeing it explored through a horror lens feels unique to me. Mm Totally. Totally. Speaking of unique films, how is that for a segue? (laughs) Perfect. Seamless. I love it. Where's Andrew now to be impressed by my prowess? (laughs) We are at about the halfway, well, we're at the halfway mark of the year. I don't know why. I guess technically a little bit past the halfway mark. So we thought we would do a little thing we did last year around this time, which is to run down our top 10 so far. So what do you think? Are you into that idea? Yeah, let's do it. So do you want to start with 10 and work our way to numero uno? Yeah, yeah, let's do it that way.